Gonzaga Nation, we are here with Talking Zags, season three with your hosts, myself, Dan Dickow, and Adam Morrison. We're going to bring on some guests this year, and uh, you know what? We're going to let Adam intro our guests today, because you guys were teammates, had plenty of time chatting about different basketball things, so go for it. Uh, Brian Michelson, the wonderful assistant for Gonzaga, um, associate head coach, right? I don't know about that, but <laughs> longest tenured. Yes, one of my favorite teammates of all time. Not just saying that because he's here, because he helped me out a lot. Great basketball mind. It's good to have him in. Um, we've got a lot of questions for him, I think. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of different topics that we go over over the course of the day. You and I chatted about a number of things when we recorded our first episode, but the biggest thing to me is season's right around the corner. Uh, you're about what, two and a half, three weeks into practices, Brian, you guys have already had the craziness in the kennel scrimmage. At what point do you see a switch in practice from we're excited to be here to I'm tired of playing against you? I think we're, we've hit that point, uh, and that's always hard is to battle through this in October. You get that, that first little bit, and, and you touched on it, it's the excitement. We're excited to be here. It's exciting to be back in the gym. Uh, then you get to this point probably where we are a little bit now where the coaches are really pushing we see the areas that we need to build on it's still really focused on ourselves it's way too far out to start to prepare for opponents so the coaches are really pushing for um, you know for some improvements and some gains that we know that we had to be made uh, and then you know you guys have been on the other side for a long time as players obviously nba veterans that the guys are ready for games, uh, and, and it's sometimes hard for coaches to always remember that. We're beating on each other every day, so I think we've definitely reached that point. And then the, the third part of that cycle is you get close enough to games and you start preparing for opponents, and I think that kind of helps break that flow. But definitely, you know, right now it's all about getting better every day with the guys, uh, putting in what we need to on, on both sides of the ball, and how do we keep them driven to do that when it is just facing each other every day. You guys finally got a chance to probably break down film as a team as well as individually from the craziness where it's kind of with fans in there. How important is that, especially for young guys? We talked about that, uh, just a chance to get in front of somebody new. Yeah, uh, the, there's two parts to that, I think, and you touched on both of them. The film part is really important, really, the first time we had live action, especially this year with the, the way the calendar was. We had had almost no practices before craziness. Um, so really early in the season, it was good to see some of the things on film, good to see some different lineups play together. Some of those things from a coaching standpoint were nice, um, but, but every bit as important to me in that, and you touched on it, was getting in front of the crowd. And I don't care if that's just the little skill challenges, the three-point shootout, the actual live action. Uh, I think that's really important, um, both kind of internally to see how guys respond to it, but also now everybody's got a little bit out of that, uh, out of the system. Obviously we get an exhibition too to kind of further that, but I think that those are, are really important, especially with all the new bodies, right? Like Nolan's done it, Anton's done it, Ben Gregg has some experience, but, but that's it, that's put on a Gonzaga uniform. So it's really good to get those guys out in front of everybody. So <clears throat> with all the new faces this year, um, as a coaching staff, and I know you're not gonna tip your hand and we're not asking you to, but like, this is one of the first years I, I, I think that you guys are probably going to play 10 guys right away, and it's going to kind of whittle down to 7-8 like you normally do. But I, I watching the craziness in the kennel, just seeing all the transfer portal, you know, then having Dusty come in, high-level recruits, it looks like 10-11 guys can legitimately play in this offense. 
how big of a challenge is that going to be to keep guys happy and not in a bad way? And then also changing your style a little bit from the last three, four years with Drew being the centerpiece in the offense. I know you guys always play fast, but throwing it into somebody and then playing out of double team coverages and, and how teams guard him. So to me, it looks like you guys have a lot of offensive firepower, but it's totally different from the last four years. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would agree with all that. It is uh, probably a little more balance and a lot more new guys than we had. So, so I agree, and that's part of what we're going through at practice every day is it's not clearly here's our top seven or here's our top eight and just roll with that and everybody else kind of is over here. It, it is really equal, and there are days that, that a couple guys might look better and then the next day that might flip. So right now the rotation is much more open. It is much deeper, I think, than it's been. Um, and I also think that speaks to the balance of talent that we have. Um, you know, and then to can kind of continue that, you touched on it. Offensively, I think it's a really unselfish group. I, I do think it has firepower. I think we can score the ball from a lot of different spots in a lot of different ways. Um, but it is going to be a different look. Um, Drew was as good as player that's ever played here. I mean, obviously, obviously what he was able to do um, in terms of the games that he helped us win, in terms of the scoring, but also I think people really underestimated what a good facilitator he is. When, when we threw it in, he could score it, but if that was taken away, he made really, really good passes that helped keep the offense flowing. So, uh, you know, I do think that'll be a little bit different. Obviously, you know, Graham can really score inside. Ton took steps as a scorer at the end of last year. Braden Huff is a very, very good young scorer, but he's a freshman that hasn't played in the game. So we still are going to play through that post-up, but, but probably not to the extent and, and not with the efficiency of a Drew Timmy, which is no knock on the current guys. It's just the, there's only one Drew Timmy, and, and he was really special. And, you know, you, you wish these eras could go on forever, just like Dan's, right, just like you. I mean, Drew goes in that list of these guys that were All-Americans that were great players here. And, and at the end of those areas, you always got to kind of readjust. You know, the, the teams after Dan probably looked a little different. Definitely right after you, that, that next year was, was a different group. It, it was you and JP were so dominant, mm -hmm. and, and that group kind of had to find a way to do it differently. And I, I think that'll be a challenge with this group. But uh, I do love how unselfish they are. I do love that we have multiple, multiple guys that can score. And I, I do think we're going to have the ability to play really, really fast. I want to touch on the Graham EK because, you know, he didn't play in the, in the craziness in the kennel. But from my perspective, it's like, you, he's, he's kind of a known commodity. He scored almost 20 and 10 at Wyoming. Um, there's been a foot issue that he's getting healthy from. There's no need to push it. Uh, what's the philosophy as far as you know what you, you have an idea what he's going to provide, but just bring him along at the right pace? You hit it right there, and obviously you guys are, are different because you guys played at the highest level for a long time. You guys get that, right? Like, 20 and 10 in the college game is really, really hard to do. Yeah. And he was, you look back that two years ago with him and Drew, and you look at their numbers, and it's actually kind of eerie how similar they were. Uh, he, he is proven. Obviously, now he's missed some time. There's some rust he's got to get off, but he's done it at this level, and he's done it against high-level guys. And, and so it's about that balance. There's no point to playing him in, in an open scrimmage in early October that's going to impact the long run of the season. So, uh, you know, we're really happy with where he's at, uh, what, what he's been doing with us uh, on a daily basis and what he's building back into, how he's feeling. Um, and, and then it's, you know, it's obviously you wish everyone was fully healthy at all times, but really happy with where he's at. But you also touched on the, the provenness of him. 
The other side of that that's been really good is is it's you know increased the reps for Ben and Braden, and yeah. I think they've had really good off seasons um, because they've just had an extra share of the reps. And then you know obviously once we get rolling with Gra games and Graham's fully ready, it, it'll really increase our versatility and, and help us just have such an experienced guy in there. I'm curious about the backcourt. I think it's a, a situation, obviously, this is not put a lot of pressure on the backcourt, but it's like when Nigel and Josh Perkins shared the ball handling ability. So with Ryan Nemhart and Nolan Hickman taking that responsibility, I'm curious to uh, your thoughts on, is that going to help Nolan's ability to score the ball? Because I think he's a really good scorer, but he was a facilitator the last couple of years. And then are you guys going to try to play small, maybe play you know, with Dusty in that third ball handler. I know Steele can ball handle, but you know what I mean? Where you can kind of get up the floor and maybe play f four round one, five out even. Are you going to change that style a little bit? Yeah, I think I think we're going to have to do a good job with our styles of play. Yeah. You're, you're obviously going to see Nolan and Ryan a ton together. Um, and right now they're playing awesome together. They're both really talented players. They're really unselfish. And, and as you guys know, you know, a lot of our best teams here have had two ball handlers, yeah. you know. You obviously played with with Blake, who was great, and then that kind of gave way to, to Derek was young and Blake was there when mm -hmm. you started, um, and then Pargo kind of came in with Derek. A lot of our great teams here have had those multiple ball handlers, Good going point. back to Santangelo and Hall, right, yeah. the yeah. first time, the first team. So we're really, really comfortable with those two. They're going to play a lot, um, and, and it is nice because Nolan is a really good scorer. He's a very good shooter. Uh, he takes great care of the ball. Um, and Nimhard can score. He had 30 yeah. in an NCAA tournament game, but he's also really, really good at facilitating. He's a big driver of our pace. So I think those two will be great together. And then, you know, from there, there are going to be lineups where, where Dusty's out there with those two. Yeah. And, and obviously Dusty provides some shooting and some ball handling. Now you got a group that can really handle the ball, but, but you also see lineups out there with, with June and with Steele. Um, so I think we'll really be able to mix and match those guards. And then offensively, we, we probably can have some different looks. Obviously, Graham, we just talked about, is an elite back-to-the-basket score. We have to utilize that, uh, and, and we're going to play through him a ton this year. But, but Braden Huff and Ben do have different skill sets. Yep. The best thing they do is shoot, and they can both really, really shoot it. Uh, you know, and they've improved their post game. They're very capable in there. Uh, I've been happy with how they've been scoring in the post in practice but they can really, really stretch the defense. And that's something that you know we, we really haven't had in, uh, in a handful of years probably as a true Pick stretch five. Yeah. Um, so you know that will kind of stylistically, I think, allow us to do some unique things and give us some different looks based on lineups. I think it's, uh, it's gonna be fascinating early to watch who gets the nod at the three. I think there's a number of different ways you can go and share your thoughts in regards to, to Dusty Stromer, I think his upside is tremendous. I think he's got a, a chance to score it. Uh, what I've seen, he can put the ball in the deck enough. And you got a freshman, so there's a lot of room to grow. June, I think, is physically maybe superior at this moment, but there's that adjustment from international basketball to college hoops. Steele's a great shooter. Uh, he's proven, at least by being a Big Sky Player of the Year. But the one interesting note that I see is, what is, is there any thought to Anton playing at the three at times this year? Yeah, you know, I think to kind of touch on those first three, I think you were pretty accurate in your assessment, and it's been really even in the preseason, and, and that will be, I think, a role that can change within a game or even game-to-game -game based kind of on what we need because they all bring different strengths. Uh, you know, you touched on June's physicality and his size are, are really good. Um, 
you know, he goes in there, he rebounds, he does some things defensively, and obviously he's proven on the international stage that, that he can score it and shoot it, steals the, the only one of those three that's done it in college, and he's done it at a high level. There, there's only 30, 32 conference players of the year, and he's one of those. Uh, he's made shots in big games, and, and his ability to shoot is really, really special, and, and that's a weapon in today's game. So, so experience and shooting are, are always needed. Uh, and, and Steele brings good height. He's got some length, um, you know, and then Dusty's a little different. He's the smallest of the three, but uh, he can really move his feet defensively. He's a versatile player. He's got a toughness to him. And, and like you talked about, Daniel, he puts it on the floor well enough. He shoots it well enough. Um, he's an unselfish player that understands how to space and play off other really good players. Um, and, and obviously, being a freshman has quite a bit of upside to grow. So I, I think, you know, there's lineups where two of those guys will probably be out there together. Then there's other lineups where well, they'll just be out there individually. Um, but all three will, will have a significant role, and, and we're really looking for someone of those three or two of those three or even all three of them to really make a jump and kind of make it a little more clear because it is really even right now. Uh, you know, and then you touched on Anton. I think the beautiful thing about Ton is his experience in his game it doesn't matter there's what position he plays. I don't care if it's the three, the four. I mean, he played some stretches at the five, Garden Schwebway and Zach Eady. He's just such a good player at this level, and the game's so easy for him that we can give him any job. It doesn't matter what his position is, um, and, and he can fill that role. So that's the nice thing about having a fifth-year senior that's so experienced is you don't have to worry about him. You can just kind of give him a role and and a job, and, and he'll go out there and do it for you. Staying on Anton, he went to the G League Combine, and he, when I talked to him, he learned about himself, but I think he also learned he wasn't in the physical shape he needed to be to be at that level. Have you seen a rededication to being in top-notch physical shape from him this offseason? Yeah, there's definitely been a change. I'm, I'm happy with Anton. Uh, I, obviously, that feedback was not what he wanted to hear at that time or, or how he probably wanted to show individually, but uh, he's done a great job. He's come back. He's, he's dropped a ton of, ton of weight. Um, I think you can see it. I can definitely see it, how he moves. Um, and I know that that's been a goal of his, so I was really happy this summer that, that he addressed that and has made you know, big change. He's down double digits since, since the combine. And you know, I think he, he learned some other things about, about the rebounding numbers that needed to be posted and some of those things. So hopefully you know, he'll continue throughout the year to kind of be, be cognizant of those because the nice thing is, is what he heard there is stuff that's going to help us win games here too. It's really conducive to both. Um, and, and again, just I can't say enough good things about Anton. He's a winner, and he's won a lot of games here, and he's going to help us win a lot of games this year because he just he plays the right way, and he makes the game a lot easier for everybody else. The last couple years, counting this year, and I'm just going to make an assumption, but I think I'm right, is rim protection on the backside has been, it's not lacking, but it's been so much different with Chet, and then we had BC, Rui, Zebo, Shimmy. How have you guys adjusted to that defensively as a staff? Because you guys used to switch everything. I'm going really deep, though, for, you know, basketball stuff. But, like, you guys used to switch everything, and now it seems like with some of your fives that you got to go into pick-and-roll packages. As a coaching staff, is that harder to reteach, or do you guys prefer – obviously, you want to have everything in your back pocket, but it's just been odd – and it's not a knock on anybody, but like Drew isn't a rim protector. Ton is an okay, like a challenge, but not like a block. 
how how does how does that change your guys' philosophy defensively as the year progresses? Does that scare you later in the year? Um, you know, you you always want to have everything, right? Yeah, and, true. and you always want to have rim protection. You know, the 17 team was historic at it. They were the number one defense in the country because you had J3, you had Shimmick, you yeah. had Zebo. <laughs> um, you know, the the 18 team was pretty good. The 19 team was really small, but it was Rui and BC, yeah, which were like elite. Uh, you know, the the interesting thing, I think the two years that you would probably look to not have it as much would have been the 21 Final Four team because mm-hmm. you really just had Drew as your only big. And, and then obviously last year and, and probably this year, you had Chet lumped in the middle of those. Yeah. It was kind of a one-man one man backline defense. He just changed so much. So I think it does change some of your coverages. It probably changes some of what you do on the perimeter yeah. in, in terms of how important it is to keep the ball in front versus not keep the ball in front. Um, but obviously last year, you know, we, we had a really successful year. We went to an elite eight, uh, the, the final four year, we were undefeated almost all year. Yep. Um, but we got to do it by committee. That's something we've been talking to this group about that I think last year's group got really good at late in the year. You know, you go back and you watch that that Grand Canyon game. Julian had three or four unbelievable rim protects yeah. uh, that weren't there early in the year. Yeah. And so we've been trying to stress that to this group um, of the, everyone can help protect the rim, whether that's keeping the ball in front on the perimeter, whether that's being in good help side, whether that's going over and protecting the rim when it's your turn. Uh, but it has to be by committee. Where I think, I think the guy started to cut you off that, like, solidified for the wing position on everybody was Corey used to always come over. He was unreal. Right, and and then mm-hmm. he just showed like like a Julian, like you can be six seven, but you can mm-hmm. chest a guy legally and still challenge. We're not looking for blocks; we're looking for misses. Yep. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I I totally agree. Like it obviously changes the way that your stylistic thinking, but if you guys coach it the way you do, it just doesn't have to be. Oh, we don't have Chet seven four or whatever mm-hmm. seven three. We can't rim protect. No, if you get on the split line and you meet him outside the paint, blah blah blah. So that's I appreciate the answer, but I was always just curious on you know, thought process on rim protection because it's such a valuable piece to have in today's game. Yeah, just and, and you touched on that Final Four team. Corey was a fantastic yeah. rim protector, and obviously part of that was athleticism and physicality, but we we talked to Julian about that. Hey, take that from Corey, right? Yeah. Look at what Corey was able to do. Take that, and, and I think Julian grew into that more and more, and we need this team to, to grow into that mold as well. So on that, Obviously, Adam and I spent time at the NBA level, and like literally, you'll go through eight different pick and roll coverages and different weak side coverages. You guys do as good a job as any college program when I go to practices of teaching those th- kind of things and emphasizing it. How many things do you look at during the course of the preseason to come up with? These are the couple different scenarios that we're really going to focus on in how we guard certain actions. A lot, you know. I don't know if it's seven or eight, like you talked about, but it's it's above five and you look at them and uh, you got to look at them with everything. You know, what does it look like for the guards? What does it look like for the bigs? What does it take away from the offense versus what does it give to the offense, right? Everything in basketball is going to have a give and take. And so if you take something away, it's going to possibly open something else up. And so you have to look at your strengths as a team, your players' strengths, what they can actually execute, and then balance that with what are you willing to give up versus what do you want to take away? Um, you know, and this year we have a smart group. We're a new group, but it's a really smart group of guys that wants to listen and do the right thing. So I think it is something where we can do a lot of different things um, and be able to execute those. When you put together a non-conference schedule, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, uh, we're talking about 
different ways to guard things, take away different things. When you put together a non-conference schedule, do you try to hit different styles of teams so that when you get to league, maybe you've seen everything, and then when you get to the NCAA tournament, you've played against a fast-breaking team. You've played against a low-post-oriented team. You've played against zone teams, trapping teams. Does any of that come to mind when you put together a schedule? I mean, theoretically, it does. And theoretically, that would be great, but, but you and I have had some of these scheduling talks. It is so difficult with everything that goes into scheduling yeah. that basically you just need to to worry about finding the schedule that works in terms of the right number of home games, neutral games, MTE games, road games. Um, you know, we talked about all this, right? The right, the right, hitting the right numbers with the net and some of those things that by the time you get through those, being able to drill it all the way down to, okay, how do they play? Sure. It doesn't become realistic. With that being said, playing whatever it is now, 15, let's call it 15 out of conference games, Amongst that, you're gonna you're gonna see everything, right? You're gonna run into a team that zones. You're gonna run into a team that plays fast. You're gonna run into a team that holds the ball. Uh, with who we play, we're gonna run into a dominant point guard, a dominant big, dominant wings, because we're playing so many high high level opponents that that they're gonna have that. So I feel that we always end up facing everything unintentionally. It's not necessarily intentional, but. You know, I, I think by the time we get to league, definitely by the time we get to the NCAA tournament, um, there really hasn't been a, oh, we haven't seen that at all. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit, talking about the, like the business of the, of the sport. Conference realignment has been a big issue, especially on the football side, and it's going to affect us eventually, whether sooner than later. Um, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you're not going to sit here and go, we should leave the WCC because the WCC has been great the last five, six years. And it's changed after um, we had the issues with the units and then we had the issues with the, 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 the first game in the WCC tournament went back to buys, right? So they corrected some of the issues that affected Gonzaga more than the other programs. But how do you think this changes the landscape of, we're not a mid-major team, but we're mid-major size. Just Okay, I, hate, I know you guys hate that, and I, I don't know how else to say it. University size, that's what I mean. How do you think it changes programs like ourselves that are one of the best brands in college basketball, your guys' numbers, lead eights, sweet 16s, final four appearances, championship games, speak for itself. But how do you think it changes compared to, you know, these, these you know, SEC-type Power Five conferences? Yeah, um, you know, first of all, obviously, any decisions on that are so far above my pay grade, and there's a lot of people that'll go into making those decisions. So, but you, so you have the, a say in yeah, it. Be so Mike. I'm in. I'm in <laughs> I don't have. I don't have any say in that decision. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, it, it is unique because the college landscape has changed so much, right? Oh. I mean, it, the the Pac-12 that, that we all no, grew up in doesn't nothing. doesn't exist anymore. No. Um, the the WCC and you touched on it has gotten way better. Um, than, than when any of the three of us played in it than yeah. when I came back. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of schools have done a really, really good job investing in their programs. Yeah. The, the coaching is great at this level. They've invested in facilities. They're obviously all great academic institutions. They're in really cool cities that they can draw to. So the power of that league has really, our league has really, really grown. And, and I think you see that, right? I mean, and the numbers speak for itself. So they like Ken Palm, and then we mm -hmm. had three bid league, and it's been a, a multi bid league for six, seven, eight years. Yep. So we're not just saying that just to pump up our own league. It, it shows it. Yeah, and obviously you know, but realignment has hit the league. BYU left, yeah. and, and BYU was a great 
addition to our league for nine, ten years, however long they were in the league, both mm -hmm. from their their fan following, the the quality of play that they put out there, going to play at that arena. We've played everywhere. That that's up there with the best arenas there are. Yep. So the realignment thing is real. And, and you know, I, I think the thing that, that coach has always done a great job with and Gonzaga has always done a great job with is is making sure that Gonzaga is in the best position to continue to Seen succeed. around the corner. Yep. yep. And, and you know, whether realignment continues and, and hits us or hits more programs, we'll, we'll have to see. But, you know, it's not something where you can just stick your head in the sand and say, oh, it's not going yeah. to happen to us or to the league because we already have lost BYU. Yeah. The Pac-12 that was the Power 5 league in the West is gone in eight or nine months. Um, so it is a changing landscape, um, but it's also hard to say. I mean, you mentioned some leagues, SEC, Big 12, Big 10, like as, as everyone can see, those are changing by the day too, yeah. right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, come on, you got two schools yeah. from LA and two schools from the Northwest that are now in the Big 10 <laughs> yeah. in, in eight months, you know? Uh, that's that's not what we're used to. So who's to say that in 24 months those leagues don't have a completely different Landscape. group of people, yeah. or that the Power Five is now the Power Two or Three or yeah. or whatever it's yeah. going to be? So there's a lot of changes um, in, in the college landscape, um, you know, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I can tell you that. Well, Adam and I kind of touched on this last week, and, and to me the biggest thing is Coach Few wants to be able to have the program in a place where it can compete for a national title. And the WCC has done that till now. So who knows what happens. But for use a hypothetical, things change and you have to go to a different league. You guys already recruit internationally. You guys already recruit across the country who fits your program and your style and your culture. Would change of league change maybe philosophy and recruiting? Is there anything to that? Because I know some schools have said, hey, we're going to be available to recruit a whole different kind of player. I don't think that would be the case with you. What do you guys think? Uh, I don't think so. I've heard that too, and obviously I haven't lived it. Those other schools have lived it. Um, so maybe it does a little bit. If you're in a different league and now you have home games in, in a certain state, maybe you can try and hit that state yeah. a little harder because you will be bringing people home. But, but you and I have talked about this a little bit, Dan. You know, we really recruit based on fit. You obviously got to have elite talent, but you got to be about the right things. You got to want to, you know, come here and, and win and get better and, and be a part of a great culture and a great family. We've touched on that. And so that hasn't mattered whether you're from the Northwest, like we all were, and the groups we played with predominantly were, uh, whether you're international, obviously we've had a ton of success there, or, or guys from all over the country. I mean, Chet and Jalen are Minnesota guys. The the one team had Drew, Admon, and Ryan Woolridge, all Texas, Dallas yeah. guys. Um, obviously, you got Pargo and Norvell from Chicago. I mean, it's been really, if it's the right fit, we've been willing to, to go anywhere to find those guys. So, you know, without having lived it, uh, I would think that we would continue to just look for the, the, we will, no matter what, look for the right people. But maybe if you do, maybe if you're playing a bunch of games in the south now or on the eastern seaboard, it does open that up a little more than obviously right now 99% of our games are, are western based. I feel like that's a football thing though, more so. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you know, we, we're in Texas now, mm -hmm. so we can go grab all that talent for Texas. I mean, you're not wrong, but I think that's just more like a football. Right, because you also have to fill a 75, 80 yeah. man roster. Exactly. Football, so yeah. I was like, now oh, we can go because our games are on there, you know, they're locals or whatever. So I think, uh, you know, obviously Brian obviously knows more than I do about recruiting, but we've hit pretty much the whole gamut except like New York or anything like that. I don't think um, changing conference really would change that, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just curious, just because, you, like you said, they do talk about that mm -hmm. with football. Yeah. But, I mean, shoot, you guys are getting McDonald's All-Americans now, five stars. You, everyone said, and we've all, Tommy's a great, great friend to all of us, but everybody said that, that European pipeline's gone. Well, got a couple pretty good yeah. ones mm -hmm. in my estimation, and I think June's got a chance to be pretty good. So um, I, I don't think that's going to impact things too much if it were to happen. Good stuff, Brian. Thanks for joining. Mo. This is our first guest, so we'll, uh, we we'll have a, a bunch job. of guests. I mean, we're going to have uh, Derek Ravio, Sacre, Pentagraph. They're all planning on coming on at some point in the very near future. we got to get uh, Stephen Gentry and RJ, the other uh, assistants up here too as well. So Jorge as well. Jorge, yeah. He's a phenomenal basketball yeah, man the times I've talked yeah, to him. He's awesome. So any last comments? I appreciate you guys having me. Awesome. There you have it for Talking Zags, Gonzaga Nation. Brian Michelson, Adam Morrison, and Dan Dickow.